0: and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Uh, and yet, we're still the body of Christ together. Amen. And in that dialogue and in that interaction, um, so that's, that's great. I think there's a hel- been a healthy uh, push, pushing back and forth, and some really cool uh, and meaningful insight. That's come from that group. If you're not in a group uh, to discuss and to talk about God's word, we'd love to connect you to a group. We have several different going on, and I invite you to chat with me or chat with Pastor Debbie, uh, and we would love to get you connected to to one of those groups. Maybe maybe start one. Maybe maybe just bite the bullet and say, hey, none of the times work for me. I maybe I could start one, um, and uh, we would love to to walk through that with you. Um, also. Uh, with, our, with our SDMI leader, uh, Mary Ellen, has been instrumental in, in helping us find leaders and find groups and start groups, and we're still wanting to do that. Um, I'm kind of excited this morning uh, as we follow the lectionary journey through this time of epiphany. So epiphany happens kind of at the end of Christmas, the day we celebrate the, and remember the coming of the wise men into the, the Advent, into the Christmas scene, they come and visit Jesus um, and, and, and that day is called Epiphany. Well, uh, the Christian calendar kind of marks anywhere from six to ten Sundays after that, depending on where Easter falls. Um, and, and we walk through this season of Epiphany. Uh, and then we, then we hit Ash Wednesday, and that starts the next season in the church calendar called Lent. Um, but in, in the lectionary journey through Epiphany, um, this week it jumps to Genesis. I'm kind of excited to talk about Genesis. Um, the Ladies' Bible Study has been in Genesis over the last uh, several weeks, and then they're moving to the next section of Genesis, I believe, after that. And so um, the, first, the first one was on the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and I think they're moving to the next section, which is Genesis 12 through 27, which kind of takes us from Abraham through Jacob uh, and Esau, if you're, if you're familiar with some of the stories of, of Genesis. I've heard many good things About this group. But today we're turning to Genesis chapter 45. So this is kind of after the section that that they're currently studying, which is good for me, right? So I don't get myself in trouble and and have people be like, that's not what we talked about in Bible study. So, um, uh, but today we're reading from Genesis chapter 45. Uh, I'm going to be starting in verse 3 and reading through verse 11 and then jumping forward to verse 15. Um, Out of reverence for the reading of God's word, those who are willing and able, would you please stand as we read God's word together. This reading from Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father really still alive? His brothers couldn't respond because they were terrified before him. Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they moved closer. He said, I'm your brother Joseph. I'm the one you sold to Egypt. Now don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Actually, God sent me before you to save lives. We've already had two years of famine in the land, and there are five years left without planting or harvesting. God sent me before you to make sure you'd survive and to rescue your lives in this amazing way. You didn't send me here. It was God who made me a father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household and ruler of the whole land of Egypt. Hurry, go back to your father. Tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master of all of Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You may live in the land of Goshen, so you will be near me, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and everyone with you. I will support you there. So you, your household, and everyone with you won't starve since the famine will still last five years. And skipping to verse 15, he kissed all of his brothers and wept, embracing them. After that, his brothers were finally able to talk to him. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. So this is kind of the first chance that, that I've had to offer a sermon uh, under our new emphasis, our new uh, annual uh, focus for this year. Um, have you caught it? Have you memorized it you know what it is? Not so with you. Yes, not so with you. We had, we had moments where I was up here on, uh, with, with our pastoral team and we, we chatted about this, but this is kind of the first one because we, we talked about missions uh, last week. Um, I, I kind of wanted to to do this theme earlier in in my tenure year here. This is the start of the third year that I've been able to be uh, pastor with with this congregation, um, and so I, I had just felt checked that that it wasn't quite time, um, and and yet I I really had sensed that. Um, I wanted to head this direction, and so I'm so excited for this year. Uh, In in 2020, I don't know if you'll remember or if you were even here, but our our emphasis and our focus that year was was becoming one. (laughs) Becoming one. And what a year it was to have that as our theme. Do you remember 2020? (laughs) Yeah, I remember 2020. I was here. You were here. We were all here as 2020 hit like a semi-truck um, and disrupted our lives. And yet here we were starting that year saying, this is the year where it's going to be so important that we are one body, that we are one people standing united in our worship of Jesus Christ. And, and I thank God for that. I thank God that that was, that was where we headed. After that, we had a, a new emphasis called Becoming New, that, that God wishes to transform our lives, that God wishes for us to, to become new people as the people of God in this place and, and for this town and for our neighbors. We have transformative work that God wants to do in us and through us. Becoming New was our, our emphasis and focus in 2022. And now we have this new theme, Not So With You. I was tempted to, to, to have a different title or a different uh, uh, theme to this emphasis um, and call it Kingdom Economy. The economy of the kingdom of Christ is different than the world in which we live. Do you know that? I wanted to focus on how, how different God's kingdom is from the kingdom of this world. In God's economy, we're willing to pay a different price. We're willing to go that extra mile. We're willing to turn the other cheek. Remember the reading that Kira gave to us earlier. That, that's kind of the condensed version of the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Luke. Luke gives it a few, a few verses. Matthew gives it three chapters, right? But it's the same theme. It's the same focus that God's economy is different. We live differently. But ultimately, the, the words of Jesus kind of just hung in my ears this year as we were deciding and talking and, and, and as I was kind of grappling with, with the implications, I heard Jesus' words over and over again in my mind, not so with you not so with you. And and I'll be honest, for a year, I want it to ring in our minds. I want it to ring in your heads. I, I want it to bother you and to not go away. I want it to haunt your dreams. Um, no, not really. I want, but I want it to be that present for us. Literally, I think that it, it has the potential to alter our lives and to change who we are if we if we allow it to do its work. As we turn to the Old Testament here, we we find the story of siblings. I say the word siblings and people pop into your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have have a few siblings that live in our house. Um, Siblings are the ones uh, you know how to drive the most crazy. I think that's the proper definition of siblings. Siblings are the people on this world that you know how to drive the craziest. Um, they're the ones that you, you know how to have the most fun with. They're the ones you know how to have the most fights with, likely. You just you do life with siblings. Um, Joseph's uh, story. Joseph's is a story that that starts actually all the way back in in chapter 37 of Genesis. We read from from chapter 45. It starts all the way back in 37. So there's multiple chapters talking about Joseph uh, and his siblings and and the outcome of his story, the story that kind of um, goes back and forth. Um, In case, it's a popular story. It's a story that a lot of people know and are familiar with. Um, And yet, I wanted to recap just a little bit. So all the way back in 37, um, Joseph was uh, a brother of 12 siblings, a sibling group of 12 brothers. Now We don't have any record or any mention of any sisters in the group, but it's likely that they were there too. A uh, little unfair that they didn't get recorded in, in the genealogies, and yet that was kind of the culture in which they, they lived, but we don't know that for sure. Um, but, but Joseph gets this coat of many colors, right? The, this extra, extra colorful robe. Um, and the brothers are like, that's not fair. I want a new jacket too. I want, I want a North Face jacket that's kind of bright and cool to take down the ski hill. What's, what's up? And, and, and there was this admission from the brothers and this realization that, that dad kind of liked Joseph, Well, brothers do what brothers do, and it was time to teach Joseph a lesson. But as sometimes happens with siblings, things escalated. Things went a little too far. He was thrown in a pit and left to die. The intent was to kill him, to kill Joseph. But instead, one of the brothers had an idea, wait, instead of killing him, let's make some money off of him, and let's sell him. And so they did. And so they're like, yes, there was one brother who was going to circle back and rescue him, but the other brothers got this monetary idea a little bit too, too quickly. First stop is Potiphar's household. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, and when he declines, he gets, she gets him in trouble, so he's sent to prison. In prison, he's shown this ability to interpret dreams, and eventually gets remembered by one of Pharaoh's Attendants in Egypt. Uh, uh, one of the attendants to Pharaoh had, had heard that Pharaoh was having these dreams, and he couldn't interpret them. And he goes, "Oh yeah, I remember Joseph. He was back in prison, and he helped interpret my dream." And he got to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh's dream had said uh, there's there going to be seven years of, of rich and, and bountiful harvest in the land, and it will be followed by seven years of famine. And so the plan is, what we should do is we should save and accumulate and store up as much grain and food and resources as we can for the seven years of bounty, the seven years of abundance to prepare for the seven years of famine. And eventually rose uh, in, in Pharaoh's household, rose in power in Egypt, up to second in command, right below Pharaoh. And as second in command, his job was to be steward over these years of bounty and and abundance, to save food, to save resources, to protect the people, to protect Egypt, to protect those that would be suffering during the seven years of, of famine. And during those seven years, he helped care for those in need. And eventually it was Joseph's brothers who came needing help. And although he recognized them right away, he said, these are my brother's um, they didn't recognize him, and and this passage Genesis forty five is this reveal, and and we we kind of miss all that backstory, and we come up on on verse three, and he says, "I'm Joseph, I am your brother. It's me. I'm here." And, and the temptation with this story is, is to be a little too uh, a little too basic in our approach, a little too. Um, kind of trite in the in the conclusions that we come to, right? Uh, it, there's this idea that God works it all out. God works together or works all things together for good, right? Romans eight twenty eight. And, and see what God did. See how God moved in this way in this way to prepare for this time, or or forgive like like Joseph forgave. As we take a look at our, our theme, not so with you, I'm struck by the question of, of what, what would have been the natural response? What would have been the natural response? What would Joseph have done if he had been like everybody else? If Joseph were like me, what would Joseph have done? Or If I was in Joseph's place, how would I have responded? I'm not sure of that answer. As as I look at my own life, I'm I'm not sure what that answer would be. If if I'm trying to be honest with you, if I'm trying to be authentic with you, I'm unsure. I'd like to say I'd be as faithful as Joseph was. I'd like to say I, I could respond like he did. What did he say? Don't be upset don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Actually, God sent me before you to save lives. Could I be that bold? Could I be that disciplined in that moment? There's a rabbit trail in that verse of, well, did God then cause all of what the brothers did? And we're not going to go down that rabbit trail because that could take a while. Could I do that when the stirring of my heart longs a bit for justice for the brothers? Right? Isn't God a God of justice? And what would justice look like in this moment? Like, like here's your chance, Joseph. Now you're the one in power. Now you're the one that outnumbers your brothers with the guards and with the system, with with the imperial power of Egypt. Joseph had turned the tables. No longer was he the younger brother in the pretty little coat getting the special treatment from dad, where the brothers had the power. And the brothers chose to misuse that and chose to inflict pain and to to deny family with intent to kill. Like we get to this point of that story and and, and all of that's kind of this long forgotten history. That would have been the last time he had seen these people. From the bottom of a pit looking up, asking, do we kill or can we get something out of this guy? And now Joseph has the power. He, he's in the place where he can be judge and jury over these ones who had been ready to kill him. Instead saying, well, maybe he's worth something to us. Let's get a few bucks for him. And this was his chance for retribution, his chance to get even. And we know what Joseph does. But what do I do in that moment? what do you do? This is where I think the world says, this is your chance. Get even. The world says, get what you can, get what you deserve. Give them maybe what they deserve. It's pretty clear he had some priorities. He wanted to find his father. Uh, His special relationship with Benjamin, who was uh, the only other son of his mom, was precious to Joseph, and he wanted to find Benjamin. But the other ten, the world would say, get them back. This is your chance. Look at this opportunity you've been given. And the the words of Jesus ring out above the noise. Not so with you. Jesus obviously wasn't born. Jesus obviously hadn't said that to his disciples, and yet as we look at this text, as we look at the the people of God in this place, we hear those words from Jesus ring out, not so with you. But in some ways, I think and this may sound weird, Let me give me a chance to explain, but in some ways I think Joseph might have had it easy. In some ways I think Joseph might have had it easy. And you're like, preacher, come on, you've lost it. Look at what he had to go through. Look at, look at his journey. Look at, look at what, how they had treated him. Look at all that he had gone through. Let me explain. Here's the thing, Joseph got to do this Joseph had to ha- got to have this moment with his brothers when he was already at the top, when he was already in that position of power. He was already second under Pharaoh. His place was secure. His place was settled. He had interpreted the dream. He had been recognized. He had rode the fast track to success, being elevated in the house of Pharaoh, kind of living the good life. Seen the redemption of God, seen seen the path all the way through. Things were going to be all right for Joseph. And he knew it. And I think that's kind of why I feel like Joseph had it easy in that moment. That that maybe that forgiveness was a a little easier for him to achieve, a little easier for it to come by because he had been settled. And to be honest, that's not where a lot of us find ourselves. <laughs> Joseph's living the, the cushy life, the pampered life, the good life. I had a commentator, Alan Hilton, I was reading this week in Feasting, Feasting from the Word, and he writes this, if, if contemporary Christians cannot easily connect with Joseph's prosperity, his experience of being wronged is universal. We might not find ourselves at the top of society. We might not find ourselves second in command, vice president of the corporation or the country. Who are we? We all can relate to the, the experience of, of being wronged. We've all been there. What happened in those years of sitting with those thoughts, realizing that the, the very family that he had up, grown up with had been the source of his betrayal. What happened in those years as he, he wrestled with God and, and said, Why? Why am I sitting in this prison? Why am I sitting in this cell? How did God shape and form him, chiseling off the rough edges of his spirit and his person? He wasn't the kid anymore he was when he was with his family. I know some of you like to go back and, and refresh your, your memory about the stories we talk about. Go back to Genesis 37. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't the kid anymore who kind of, when he had his father's ill, spoke, spoke negatively of his brothers. He wasn't the, the, the haughty teenager who, who couldn't really read the room <laughs> as he sauntered up in his special robe given by his dad. He had learned something since telling his family about the dream that he had had, that his whole family would come and gather around him and bow down to him. He'd learned a few things since then. I think God began to shape and mold him in that time. And I think, I think, somewhere in that journey, God began to change Joseph's heart that at some point the, the worldly response that could have ruled the day in, in the passage that we read, that, that, that egocentric retribution, I was wronged and I'm getting them back, gave way to a gentler way, to God's reconciliatory way, God's heart to, to reconcile Joseph to his brother's. And the true measure of that, the true measure of the heart change of Joseph's life, the true measure of, of how God had shaped and formed him, would be to ask the question, what would Joseph have done facing his brothers in the pit of that jail cell? While still enslaved at his lowest point, still feeling the effects of, of the pain and, and the anguish, how would Joseph... Have responded. Hilton goes on to say later, the, and I quote, the dramatic moment of Genesis 45 longs to be played out again every time someone is wronged. End quote. Every time someone is wronged, it's like we ache for this, this return to Genesis 45. How will it play out? How will it look wronged at the workplace, wronged in the classroom, wronged by a sibling or a parent or an extended family member by your neighbor? And most often, we don't have the chance to rise. We don't have that chance to to get up second in command. We don't have that chance to, to be settled. And in a place where we don't have to worry, God still calls us and instructs us. Don't live like the world. Live differently. Be my child. Still be the people of God in that moment. When we're still struggling with the reality of that offense, how will we respond? And will we hear those words? Not so with you. I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up as we, as we close out today. When we are still stuck in the pit, when we're still in the jail cell, when we're still feeling the effects of the wronged place that we have come to, the, the wrongs that we are affected by, when the waves are crashing over us, when our anxiety is triggered, when we're barely hanging on, we're invited into this example of Jesus like living oh, the, the example of Joseph and his his radical reconciliation instead of retribution that's what we're invited into i do i do have to say there are instances where this isn't this isn't appropriate and I, and i think it's important to to say these things that there, there are moments of abuse and mistreatment. There are moments of intimidation and bullying, of fear and manipulation, where it's not healthy. And it's not okay to expect the one who has been wronged to seek out that reconciliation, that it's better for separation. But I think so often we are invited into that dramatic moment of Joseph's story, being played out again and again, and maybe not after sitting on top of (laughs) seven years of bounty, after rising up in power. And yet maybe we're still invited in those moments to be God's agents of reconciliation. As He says to us, not so with you. May it be so in our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us, and have a great week.